It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hi guys, it's Imran from United Hour here. Just a quick one at the beginning to say this is a longer episode of United Hour. It's about 90 minutes, as opposed to the usual hour, so United Hour and a half, if you will. Uh, but I guarantee you it's a better 90 minutes than you saw on Sunday, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, it's a bit late coming out, but we just wanted to get it in a nice order for you guys, so really hope you enjoy it. I'm not on this pod, but um, Colm, Ashwin, Jamie and Alex are on to give you their viewpoints and talk through the Sunday's game and what the future of United and Ole is. Before we get to the pod, I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Manscaped. Yes, Manscaped, your best in all the below the waist and above the waist men's grooming needs. And if you use the code UNITEDHOUR at manscaped.com, you'll get 20% off your order plus free shipping. That's 20% off your order plus free shipping. So get to manscaped.com, it really helps out the pod. And while I'm here and you also want to help out the pod, you can go give us a five-star review on Apple if you listen on Apple or wherever you listen to your pods, actually. Just make sure you give us a nice big review. Don't give us a bad review because, you know, that'd be mean. And also follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, get on the Red Cafe, give us some feedback in the thread. It's always much appreciated and we do read it all. Um, that's it from me. Take it away, Colm. Woohoo! Hello and welcome to United R. I'm your host, Colin. I'm Alex. I'm Ashwin. And I'm Jamie. I mean, I knew that was going to slip us up. We have a <laughs> uh, four-man pod today, which, frankly, lads, fair play to you for wanting to come on and talk about Manchester United uh, in this week of all weeks. I am genuinely surprised. You know, in years gone by, have United R, you know, the group chat would have been would have been just empty. No desire to come in and talk about this absolute um, travesty that has befallen our club at the moment. But I did expect the old intros to, to trip us up there with a bit of awkwardness between Ashwin and Jamie. Ashwin pulled rank. <laughs> I haven't hosted the last episode there and decided he was more important than Jamie. because that yeah, He's is... the more senior. That's fine. He's the more senior. Any listeners that don't realise the, the order of the intro was pure United Our Hierarchy. So <laughs> probably something to always listen out for into how we... How we value <laughs> each member of the pod. Uh, yeah, it's your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. We're here on Monday evening summoning uh, the will to try and discuss um, what was now, I think, going to be an infamous 
weekend, an infamous loss to Liverpool, um, 5-0 in just some of the most um, embarrassing circumstances that you're ever likely to see. Listeners, the plan for this podcast is not uh, to do any kind of detailed dissection of that match because, frankly, anyone who wants to listen to that should seek help, I think. Um, I don't know that anyone wants to dive into uh, 18 reasons why we conceded each goal, so um, that's not really what this is. It's just going to be a vague chat uh, about you know, just the calamitous situation we find ourselves in and and what we think we can maybe do moving forwards in what might be a very pivotal week or two for Manchester United. It's it's all about how we want to stay stay behind the manager, right? Yeah, it's always (laughs) at the wheel. Rest assured, this podcast is entirely behind him. Um, So we will take a straw poll on that at a later point in the podcast. But firstly, Alex, I mean, nine games into the Premier League season and just how dead is this season for Manchester United? I think it was a result that we were all somewhat expecting and one that had to and needed to come. So in in terms of like a title challenge absolutely over, we're getting to the point now where there's going to be serious considerations about around top four, right? Depending on what decisions are made and the subsequent decisions in terms of who takes over if a sacking does come, which I think we're all expecting at this point. It, it just becomes another transitional year, right? It's another year in transition, another year to build a foundation for future success. And I think we're all a bit fed up of by now. I, I just have a question for everybody. Before the season, forget them. Like if, if, assume Tuchel is our manager. Okay, just assume that coming into the season. With the same squad at his disposal, what would your expectations have been coming into this season? A, t- a, a title challenge and title you challenge expect was... a major trophy, right? And I think we all, yeah. I think we had this discussion around the start of the year around where United are in the betting order. And I think we all agreed if you were to put Klopp, Guardiola or Tuchel in the United hot seat, then there's every chance that this this squad could be up there as favourites or, or second favourites and absolutely be expected to be very much part of that conversation till the bitter end. So then, I mean, we can just talk about it since we're all, I think it's apparent that we're all not exactly behind the manager. Um, if you appoint the right interim, then I don't see why this season needs to be a dead season. And I think like, you know, there's there's things about United, like this idea of you don't want to just... Uh, constantly chop and change managers it's at its at its core it's a very good value i agree with it i think it makes a lot of sense but like is this really chopping and changing i don't think so and if you get in the right interim manager i don't think it needs to be a dead season we saw that last year with chelsea right like it's it looked like a dead season for them in a lot of ways and then they hired tuchel and all of a sudden you see wow okay this is what a a high level manager can do with this level of talent that we've brought in this this summer um, you look at the squad, like, yeah, of course there are deficiencies. The midfield isn't good enough. Um, I personally think just the defense is out of form and probably lacking confidence. I, I think the quality is there. Um, and the attack speaks for itself. Like, you can still definitely do something this season if you are proactive. Now, if the club decides, okay, we don't want to, we want to give Ole another week, two weeks, whatever, that's stupid. It's a waste of time. And that could actually turn the season into a dead season. But right now, as things stand, um, if they're proactive and they make the right kind of interim appointment, uh, and I do mean interim, not this is not like, oh, just hire Conte and give him a three-year contract because, you know, that's what he wants and he's the biggest name. You got to find a way to negotiate a more favorable deal for, for the club. But if you get in a good interim, and this isn't just limited to Chelsea last year, we actually have seen it from Chelsea before, right? They did that with Rafa Benitez. 
uh, where he came in, got them third, and I think won the Europa League. And also Grant, right? And, uh, yeah. Di- um, and Di Matteo as well. Like, in fact, yeah. all ma- the vast all majority Chelsea. of their Every success. Ever. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but, I mean, the Chelsea comparison yeah. is one that's very hard not to draw. You know, A, due to recency and devastating effect in terms of winning a Champions League and suddenly looking like one of the best footballing teams on the planet, you know, in their style. And Lampard's um, kind of insistence on playing a certain formation, we see parallels in that. The fact that they could not stop conceding goals despite having, you know, ostensibly quite a good defence that just inexplicably was conceding these ridiculous goals, even with Kante there, you know, as a shield and it just not working. And then this kind of embarrassment of riches up front that he just couldn't, you know, they were good. They, they won a lot of games, 3-2, those kind of scorelines, but they were just as often able to lose games or draw games because you can't just always rely on attacking talent to bail you out and it never really felt like Lampard knew his best kind of front four I mean does any of this sound familiar like it's it's just it's just right there to see and I'm not saying that we will you know we've obviously missed the boat on Tucho and I don't think there's a Tucho out there to get at the moment Um, but again we'll talk about that later but it's it's such a valid comparison it's so hard to look at that and not think you know this is I'm not I'm not just the fact that it's club legends that have been appointed probably before their time and that kind of stuff oh, and, and well. the fact but, that the season before were both like kind of foundation building years you know Lampard had to maintain and um, get that team to finish top four and qualify for the Champions League with a team who weren't able to to sign players and had a lack of investment right and it's been a similar story for Ali it's about achieving or at least potentially even overachieving with an imbalanced underinvested squad and then at the point where the investment was actually made, neither of them have been able to to go and take it to that next level, right? So, absolutely. But but ultimately, the difference is what Reese I think, is referring to, to for a long time, which is the difference in mentality at, at other big clubs where, you know, in the past, maybe we would have thought of the, the likes of Madrid or, or Chelsea or whoever else as a bit of a circus at times. But ultimately, they are ruthless in their ability to, to chop and change until they find and stumble upon a winning formula. And even if that formula is short-lived, they, they're able to maintain that winning momentum, even with stumbles, through through constant continuation and experimentation of, of leadership and playing staff as well. It keeps you sharp. It keeps you sharp. It, it definitely does. And it, and it maximizes your chances. For me, it's like throwing shit at a wall. At the end of the day, something's going to stick. You know, if you keep getting in the best managers in the world, some of them will work out, some of them won't work out. It's cutthroat. It's not particularly pleasing. It's not ideal. From an ethical point or anything like that. Yeah. But equally, you know, the point, the point Ashwell makes around, you know, giving time to managers and giving good contracts and doing it differently United is a lovely ideal, but it's like world peace or something. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> It's like a it's like a utopian dream that just simply doesn't fit in with reality anymore. And you know, it's you know how how far do you want to go on that? You know, as you're lying there, you know, just beaten and downtrodden by just maybe not having the best managers available to you and wasting these. Yeah, it shouldn't be a for the sake of it by any means. Yeah. And it's not something to cling to in the face of horrendous results. Uh, I was only gonna say, I think there's a fundamental issue now though, at the top of the club where Gary Neville referenced it after the game when him and Carragher and Sunnis were talking about where the United go from here. And they were referencing the fact that we've signed Mourinho, we've signed Van Gaal, it didn't work, Ole came in, it was on an interim basis, it was probably made in the romance, it was a, it was then made a permanent deal is what I'm looking to say. But the, it just seems as though now there's a fear at the top of the club, 
of sacking the manager because of what's happened before. So because they've tried Mourinho and, yeah, they won trophies. So from the trophy front, it was a successful spell. You can't argue with that because they literally won trophies. It was then so toxic, so negative, that the only way out of it was to sack him and look for the interim. Even under Van Gaal, it wasn't. It was successful because they won the FA Cup, but the football was so boring and there was so much wrong with things that were happening behind the scenes with the playing staff, whatever you want to call it. It's as if because they've went for two big names, they've tried it, it didn't work, and they're trying to delay it as long as possible with Ollie hoping that he gets it right. And I think, for me anyway, like Sunday's just the culmination of since the summer where there's been significant investment put in the squad, we've now realised that we've actually got a squad that's 100 times better than the one Ollie inherited. We've got rid of a lot of deadwood. There was a lot of guys hanging on that had to get sold. They have been. Better players have been brought in in almost every position. He's got the best squad he could possibly ask for, with the exception of midfield. But we just have not improved. And that's why I've said in the chat throughout today when it's came to should he be sacked? Well, yeah, because the fundamental thing is, has he improved the squad in terms of he's been given new personnel, better personnel, and have we improved? And the answer is no, it hasn't. The, the squad's improved, but he's not able to gain like incremental value out of that squad, is he? That's the he problem. He can't take like, his forwards yet. But also, like, in, like the squad has improved, but is also playing worse than ever. Yes, in a exactly, kind of a yeah. weird kind of position, you know? So, like, I mean, I, I know you guys probably don't watch. Um, basketball a lot but like there are coaches in basketball who excuse me yes just listen uh there are coaches in basketball <laughs> who who consistently like when they have injuries to their team they get more out of their team their team will play better and then when they have a full health team all of a sudden the team plays worse and they can't figure out the rotation i think with this squad what we're seeing is ole i think really actually did a really good job his first full year in charge um if you look back at you know uh kind of the state of the squad at that first match, injuries that season, whatever, all that stuff, they get Bruno. Okay, all of a sudden the squad takes a, a big jump, right? Massive improvement. I, I thought last year he did a pretty good job in a very weird season, just all, all weirdness, right, with COVID and everything. Um, but now that he has a more complete squad, he has depth, he has pieces that he can rotate, that he should rotate, that he needs to rotate. He has to uh, bet in a player like Jaden Sancho. Uh, he has to. You know, he doesn't have an excuse now to not bet in a player like Donny van de Beek. Uh, obviously, Varane has come in and just immediately kind of stamped his place in the 11 deservedly. Um, but he has a lot more options now. He he fought to keep Lingard in, in the squad, too, because he wanted him. He said he was an important part of the squad. He wanted him uh, as a player to rotate. Here's the thing is, though, Lingard is playing well. So now when Lingard is playing well and you don't play him, it sends the wrong signals to the squad. Um Van de Beek has gotten what basically one half of football uh, in the Champions League in a match where he he came off not because he played poorly but because we had a sending off and Ole decided to change everything. Um, like he is not able to manage a more talented squad that is capable of potentially getting to win trophies, uh, and that is ultimately a sign of a manager that has limitations. He he took United as far as it could as he could. And I think he deserves credit for that. Like the first two years, his first two full years, I think he did a lot of good work just in terms of 
um, culling the squad of players that needed to be moved out uh, in terms of, I think our recruitment is better now, whether it's, you know, ideal, perfect, I wouldn't say that, but I think it's definitely improved. I think the targets we've, we've kind of picked out are much better than what we were doing under Van Gaal and under Mourinho. Uh, I think the squad is clearly, like, if you compare it to what Moyes left Van Gaal, what Van Gaal left Mourinho, what Mourinho left Ole, I think whoever is coming in after Ole will look at the squad and be like, well, there's a shit ton of talent here. This is fucking awesome. Yeah, there are foundations there. And so, yeah, he just, like, he has taken it as far as it can go. And I, I don't think this, I don't really think this should be, like, the, the club shouldn't feel any sympathy, like, not sympathy, but they shouldn't feel bad about it. They gave him, he has had the opportunity this year to work with a squad that has loaded with match winners, loaded with players that have won major trophies, and he's not getting the most out of it. And it's really as simple as that. And it's, you know, you shake his hand, thank him, and move on. I guess some people would say, you know, twelve or thirteen games isn't isn't enough for you know, uh, like of a chance, I suppose. Given there's three new players and it's a new year and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't think that people that think that are idiots. One thing I do want to just come back to uh, is what Jamie mentioned, and he was kind of drawing that parallel to say about the the toxicity under Mourinho and how we don't want to maybe repeat that. And there's a fear at the top of the club now to make changes because Ole has kind of restored the pH level of the club, you know, to a nice um, friendly face. Um, and I do think that, however, I mean, I feel pretty toxic this weekend, to be honest. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, maybe it's recency bias, but I'm not sure, you know, Mourinho had, I mean, we look at Sevilla and games like that, you know, that we kind of hold up as horrendous examples of games in his tenure. And obviously he alienated players and stuff like that. But conversely, one of the things that annoys me so much about this United team at the moment is we constantly hear Ole's a great guy. Ole's done a cultural reset. Players all love him, you know, really bought in. Everyone's moving forward. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. And we hear all this PR, we hear all this nonsense and all this positivity. And yet I see players that are that, like, if they are not playing for him, then they all, I can't, I can't imagine that those, you know, 15 players all have such, you know, lazy, lethargic, thoughtless, careless, you know, mistake ridden games. And we've just managed to collect this pool of players that are all ridden with the same kind of footballing issues. For me, that has to come from a lack of kind of pressure or a lack of uh, willingness to like go above and beyond for the manager. And it's, you know, yes, with Mourinho, it was all we hate Mourinho, but that's easy to understand. What we have now is we love Ole, but he's crap and we're crap. Like, why does that, those two things don't add up? You know, if, if he's so beloved and everyone's bought in, everyone respects him, you know, why is it so bad? You know, it just doesn't make sense to me that, you know, it actually makes me it actually makes me want the Mourinho explosion because that's you know I can square that I can square that away you know I can well you know he's a good manager he got some good results he won a trophy but ultimately everyone hates him and he's a he's a ridiculous human being basically a, a bit of a man child and you you part ways and that's fine but at the moment you have like a club legend who everyone is giving lip service to and yet the performances completely belie those kind of platitudes that we hear week in I, I don't think it does I, I think actually it speaks to those platitudes because i guess a good car comparison would be a spoiled child with a parent who gives them everything you know who makes it easy for them Ooh, who doesn't I like punish it. them I like it. who basically not necessarily re rewards them for bad behavior but a complacent parent who who doesn't punish and doesn't have the discipline and is inconsistent in their approach and in their choices. And I think Ollie was the perfect antidote to Mourinho's manage through conflict style, which, you know, where he saw himself as somewhat 
more than and, and beyond the club. See, like a, like a storm, a cloud was hanging over the club when he left it, as far as I'm concerned. And Ollie was the perfect antidote to that. But absolutely, it gets to the point where the parent continues to to give their child rewards for, for bad behaviour. The child becomes complacent and they continue to move further and further away from their potential because they haven't got someone who's pushing them and pressuring them to, to be better. And every single Are you top an authoritarian manager... parent, <laughs> Do I need to ring social services or anything here for your daughter? Or is... If someone hasn't already, I'll be quite surprised. Um, <laughs> but like, if you look at every other top manager in the game, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they have a level of charisma that Ollie doesn't have, but they also have a level of intensity that Ollie doesn't have. And I know there's all these stories around how he can actually be quite brooding and in the dressing room that there there is a more angry, more ruthless side to him. But I just don't see that. And I, and I don't think it compares to the likes of a Klopp or a Guardiola or, you know, Mourinho and Van Hal in their heyday. And I think it has just got to that point where that complacency lives throughout that team. And he's not able to make the bold decisions that he needs to. And ultimately, probably, I think is at the point where he's just, you know, com- completely out of his depth. And as far as I'm concerned, how he uh, somewhat threw Pogba under the bus at the weekend by bringing him in 4-0 down at halftime to your to your bitter rivals. The club continuing to to keep him in that role is is only throwing Ollie under the bush and pushing him into a situation which he's just not, mm. not able to crawl back out from. It, it's also, um, you know, you can't, Maybe he is super mean and and cutting and all these things behind the behind doors, but like, it, what is the repercussion for some of these players? There aren't any, right? Like, like Bruno, I, I love the guy. Uh, let's be real. I think his high risk, high reward style of play has a great purpose. I think it's gone out of control this season. Like, like completely out of control to the point where it feels like every time he gets the ball. He's trying to create a goal. And it's like sometimes you just like I like we can't control matches as is, right? So you need your best player at some point to just put his foot on the ball and and kind of slow things down and calm it. And and it's never like that. You know, even yesterday, right, against Liverpool, early in that match, we had a, an opportunity, right, to score. I don't care that he missed it, you know, he missed it, whatever. Um, but like it it feels like every chance we create is a function of us just playing, you know at 100 miles an hour. There's never like a controlled kind of sequence of, you know, we're in control of the match for 15 minutes and inevitably the goal comes because of that. There's always like this frenzy to our style of play. And that doesn't really speak to a style of play. It speaks to almost like, you know, and Ole's talked about this, right? He wants us to play the Manchester United way, you know, front foot, like play fast, play direct, all this kind of stuff. That's all great. It's all great to play like front foot and play direct and be fast. But you got to have more, uh, there has to be more nuance to your style of play also, because everybody would like to do that, right? But if you can't do anything else, uh, it kind of leads to a situation where, like this, and, you know, again, there's not repercussions for players, and it seems like, the like, you know, I don't know what the reason could possibly be that, that Van de Beek can't get a game at this point. You know, I have no idea what the reason could be, because there's no way that he's so awful in training that, like, no, like, he just cannot even get a chance um i think it's bizarre that you know Jaden sancho you, you spend two years chasing this guy uh you know screaming that we need him to complete the team and yeah i understand there were some injuries so he had to play on the left a little bit but he's barely gotten a look in on the right and it makes no sense uh you know i think there were some reports today that 
teammates have not been happy that Ole doesn't seem to be able to uh, get Greenwood and Ronaldo to play to play on the same wavelength wavelength and kind of connect, which is funny in some ways. Um, but like, I understand that. And I think that's the, those are the kind of things that if you're a player where it's like, yeah, you, you like Ole, you probably love Ole. He's probably a great guy. Um, you know, you can love somebody and still not go all out and really like believe in them as your manager. And ultimately like, you know, like, let's be honest, Shaw, I think his levels dropped. What has been the, the repercussion of that? Because we, we bought Tellers for a reason, right? The, the purported reason for buying Tellers was to have the option to rotate Shaw. We have that option now, but if you don't actually use it, then it loses, you know, that that threat, it, it goes away and it leads to complacency. And like, if you're Shaw, um, you can know in the back of your head, like, man, I really like Ole. I, I know I should be doing better. But what is the incentive for you to put in that extra 5%, that 10%, that extra little bit that that really raises your level? There is no incentive because even if you fuck up, you're not going to lose your place. You're not going to be um, criticized for it. You're not going to be under any pressure. And that is resulting, I think, in a lot of players across the squad whose level is dropped and a lack of cohesion because there's probably guys in the team who are like pissed off. They're like, why? Why? How come Bruno can give the ball away 78 times in a match, but Jaden Sancho, if he doesn't score a goal in it or an assist, like he gets pulled off at 60 minutes no matter what? I, I think that's that's stuff that um, you know, they might love Ole, but they're probably like, but what 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 is like what's happening here? What are the standards and how come they're not applicable to everybody? Well, I think like Ole has made an absolute rod for his own back um over every season with, with picking his favorites and relying on individual moments to bail him out of bad situations and that is coming home to roost when you inevitably have a squad that requires management and you just want to play the same 11 people and keep them on the pitch for 90 minutes and hope for the best without any kind of plan and that's that's a problem that's just I think coming home to roost. It comes down to trust doesn't it? That's that's the problem because Maguire gets injured clearly isn't fit he's put straight (laughs) straight back in against Leicester why? Why is he put straight back in against Leicester? You seriously tell me Bailey can't play one game. We lose the game four two anyway, so it's like, well, like, like, what's the point? Then you go back you... with 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 huge mistakes from Maguire, Jimmy. Just on that, and it's a similar sort of point around trust. So we had Atlanta yeah. midweek, absolutely carved us open. Could have been out of sight two 0 up at half time. Probably should have yeah. been more. And he starts the exact I same eleven with seemingly the exact same tactics versus Liverpool. I mean, please. Jimmy, make that make sense for me. I mean, what on earth was Ole expecting because to be different in that three-day period? I sat for the entire weekend talking to friends, family, and everyone saying, like, people talking to me about the game on Sunday saying, what are you expecting? Are you expecting a tight game? Are you expecting plenty of changes? And more or less to every single person, I said, if you start the same 11 and the same formation, and the way we did on Wednesday, it'll just it'll be nothing short of an annihilation. And one of my pals is a Liverpool fan, and he took great delight in texting me after the game, saying with a screenshot, saying, "As if you said to me on Wednesday, if we start the game with that eleven, you could put five past us." I can't believe I didn't put a bet on it because I literally said to my pal that easily that that like we could be on the end of an absolute hiding. Every United fan saw that coming though, right? But that's the thing, like, you were sitting on Sunday saying it cannot be the same 11. It, it just can't. 
because we, I because can't get over it. I physically can't get over how anyone at that level of can football pick the same team being paid that much. It, it, like, is it laziness? I don't know what it is. Did because they have conversations midweek to convince them? They had I mean, five there was players missing. They had Atalanta had five players missing, and they took us apart in the first half as easily as you know, they did. I thought it was after after Atlanta. Laurie, we reported that uh, the coaching staff within United were really happy with how Fred McTominay played how, in that game, and I was like, "Are you happy? joking me?" And it's just classic. We, you know, it's th- this coaching staff are so. I think have made themselves so used to these late winners and this manner of comebacks and stuff and it's been like yeah. glorified but even when Ole gets asked about it the reporters are always kind of like but you know at some point do you think you need to get away from this and they're like well you know that's the spirit of the club ha 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 99 woohoo and it's just like like do you actually think this is a good thing that we're doing like this do you not see how this is constantly going to bite you in the ass I mean I just cannot get over that scene starting and, and within 13 minutes everyone was like you duh you know like it's just ridiculous i just think it's like a symptom though of so you like you could pick the same 11 if you actually have some like alternative te- like if you're gonna oh we're gonna sit back and counter on them okay fine then you gotta get it but you they literally came out and played them like they played at atlanta if you look at the heat map if you look at it like basically it's a 4-2-4 against liverpool like that's yeah, insane yeah, toe-to-toe 4-2-4 yeah, against it. liverpool who've got the best player in the world in salah and we decide we're going to play some mad way that just affords space to every single Liverpool forward. And it was embarrassing to watch us lose the ball, stand so far off, and just let Liverpool do what they wanted. The minute we had the ball back, it was like you were up against a pack of Wolverines hunting you down over the entire pitch trying to get the ball back. There was at one point, I think it was even like the fifth goal, Pogba gets the ball, and instead of having like any impetus or enthusiasm to, to try and shift the ball quickly, he gets the ball down and then just farts about, turns around, and then Jordan Henderson, and I can't even remember who the other Liverpool player was, they were on him in a flash. Like, literally, the second he brought the ball down and controlled it, all over him. I'm only mentioning that one time, because that was literally what happened for the entire game. Anytime we had the ball in the midfield or close to the halfway line, we were getting hunted down in packs and we could not live with it. And and this is why, like, like, yeah, midfield is a problem for United, no matter who the manager is, sure, whatever. We can accept that. It's It's been repeated so often, we're accepting it. Um, like, it, it it's also partially, like, at this point, if you just look at the team and the way it's played, how can we just say that, like, oh, yeah, no other manager, like, like you know, there's been this kind of belief, well, we didn't, the reason the midfield has, has struggled is because we didn't buy a defensive midfielder in, in the summer. And, like, obviously there's some truth to that. But it's also, like, the entire team's level has dropped so much where nothing defensively makes any sense at all. We're not... It, it seems like half the team wants to press and then the other half wants to sit back. And it's not really... There's no kind of, like, confidence that anybody's doing anything. You know, there, there's no, like, team kind of wide, okay, this is what we're doing. And so, for me, it's like... Like, do I do I think we need better than Fred and McTominay? Hundred percent. Yes, I do. Do I think that Matic is fit enough for purpose anymore over a season? No. Do I think Pogba is great in the pivot? No. All these things can be true, and I still think that like, if you get a better manager, all of a sudden, I think with those players in that midfield, you could put together a much more competitive team that is better at both progressing the ball forward 
and also just protecting the back line. And that to me is like really what I don't understand watching them is like, it's just ridiculous. Almost every Premier League midfield outperforms our midfield and not not all of them have the internationals that we have. Yeah, Scottish, exactly. Brazilian, Maric, whatever. You know, like they're not good players for a championship winning team. They're more than good enough to, to play better than this. And, it, you know, for me, it comes back to so many things. For a year and a half, we've been kind of repeating ad nauseum that there's no patterns of play, that we don't see the tactical side, that we don't know what the identity of this team is or what the coaching staff are trying to implement. We've said that over and over again to the point where a lot of people who were you know, backing Ole and hoping that he would do extremely well would probably get a little bit sick of hearing it. Be like, well, what does that mean? Like, this is what that means. You know, he is constantly, from when he came in, he said, you know, we want to be like Liverpool. We want to be one of those pressing high energy teams that put people under a lot of pressure. You don't see, you didn't see that. You saw it briefly at points and then it went away and it's never come back. And now we've just shifted. And I would love him to just describe what it is at the moment that we're going out trying to do other than just fitting all his favourite players on the park with no consideration to whether that's tactically a good idea, whether it works, whether there's a press, whether we're doing a, a half-court press, whether we're doing just a back eight, whatever it is, because there's clearly, clearly zero cohesion there whatsoever. If you wanted to be a high-pressing Liverpool-style team, um, Cavani last year made a lot of sense. Don't buy Ronaldo. Like, well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, Cavani yeah. last year made sense because he runs around like a psycho, right? Like, he, he, he's great with that. And I think he also has that impact where when you see him doing that, you see all of a sudden Rashford and Greenwood and these like it, it drives them to do it also. Right. Whereas with Ronaldo, Ronaldo, like and I don't blame Ronaldo for this because this is literally the player he is. He's not going to press. He's not going to be this maniac chasing after the ball like a mad dog for 90 minutes. Right. He's not that, that type of player. And so when you see that, if you're Greenwood and you're Rashford and you're Brun, like, why would you do it? Because you're like, well, he's not doing it, so that doesn't, I shouldn't do it either. But running around like a mad dog, having that in a striker to put pressure on the opposition is one thing. But the problem that we've had in recent weeks is that we're seeing our centre-backs do that. I mean, about, I think, three <laughs> or maybe four of the goals the other day were Harry Maguire playing as if he was playing under 10 Sunday League. Yeah. Just yeah, following totally. the ball with no consideration for the gaps that he was leaving behind him against Liverpool. And when we talk about the quality of our midfield. Absolutely, we all know that it could be improved, but even just looking at Liverpool's midfield the other day, you had, let's be fair, a, a reliable but past it James Milner. You had the flop that is Naby Keita. And we've we've seen a United team dominate games with Cleverly and Anderson in midfield. Like having a weak midfield is something that we're used to, but ultimately that doesn't mean that the structure of the team can't be robust. It doesn't mean that there needs to be gaps here, there and everywhere. And it doesn't mean that a press can't be joined up in, in, in what we're trying to do. And being at the stadium and being able to see the full pitch at all times gives you that insight of the gaps that we were leaving that you wouldn't accept to any level of football, professional or amateur, honestly. It was an absolute joke. And this wasn't a Liverpool team who were inviting us on and then picking us off on the counter. And the gaps that we were leaving were as a, a result of this buccaneering style of play or this high-intensity play. They were moments of absolute nothingness. And two passes, three passes later, they're in behind because of gaping holes that we that we were leaving them. I mean, I was just, I was mystified, mystified. And I have been for a long time. There seems to be a clear tactical instruction that when we're defending our fullbacks come in as narrow as possible to hold the two centre-backs' hands 
and defend inside the 18-yard box when the team are like breaking into cavernous amounts of space down the flanks. And like at, in this game, it was Mo Salah who was the beneficiary on several occasions of just like 10 yards of space in every direction on the apex of our box with Luke Shaw holding Maguire's hand in these kind of transitioning or high press situations. It was just crazy. But Alex, why? I mean, we used to do five at the back. Why don't we try that anymore? Why is there such a rigidity to this four two three one? I thought he would. I said before the Atlanta game that I thought that he would go five at the back yeah, against Liverpool solid, yeah. just from a pure protection. Yeah, yeah, just of, you know, just just to basically thing. protect himself against the pressure. Go five at the back, play for a nil nil. Even if you lose two nil, it's it's disappointing, and he'd get a lot of stick. But ultimately, he'd be able to hang and cling on a little bit longer. I absolutely didn't think that he would be naive enough to to play the formation that he did. I I couldn't believe that. And then beyond the formation, it was how high they were, the lack of instruction when it came to when to and when not to press, how we should press, uh, the gaps that we should be leaving, the complete lack of any sort of instruction around how to handle clearly the inform world player at the moment it was absolutely insane it- i think a lot of this stuff typifies what has i've said a few times um over the last year or so and that is that ole doesn't know how to be the better team and now he has all these better players and we are starting to kind of transition from this counter punchy plucky underdog look it's not a great squad so we're going to do our best transitioning team who was able to set up a unique way to play city which got a lot of success a unique way to play Liverpool, which ground out draws and did well. A unique way to play that, you know, put PSG, you know, to the sword and all that kind of stuff. And yet would be beaten by Burnley, etc. And that was kind of the struggle then. But now he has these very good players who want to spend time in the ball and we want to dominate possession. We got Varane and Maguire. We want to step up and play this high line and play, you know, a more attractive brand of football. And in doing, in making that kind of conscious choice to move away from being a kind of underdog team to a dominating team, we have completely unraveled because they don't have the coaching and the setup and the ability to let these players do it and and the tactical noose to pick the right to pick the right players essentially like it's just it just has totally come a cropper which for me is such a black mark against him because i think it's slightly easy to be the underdog and to set up a team in that way did you see the video of ronaldo where he's like they like you see liverpool it's, it must have been after liverpool scored a goal and he's just making all these hand motions showing how united is all over the place and it's like that to me is, I mean, look, you don't, ideally you want your players to kind of at least control their emotion, but it's an emotional game. You're going to have a reaction. But that to me is like, you cannot make this huge fanfare of bringing back Ronaldo. Like when you see him react like that, it's over. Like you cannot, how can you bring Ole back into into the dressing room and expect him to have any authority? Do you think that Ronaldo hasn't expressed his misgivings to players in the locker room. You think nobody's talking about it? Of course they are. They got, they just got, you know, destroyed by Liverpool five nothing. It wasn't even. This is the thing: is like, you guys remember when uh when Mourinho first went to Madrid and Barca completely destroyed them, right? Five nothing, I think it was also. But that was Barca. Like their their level was incredible, right? They, it was they weren't. You couldn't even get close to them. And Yesterday, look, Liverpool is in great form. I'm not taking anything away from them. Very good team. As well, much they, they, they were very clinical. I didn't think they played exceptionally yesterday. They didn't have to do no, anything. They didn't need to. Yeah, yeah clinical. They didn't need that, to. Was, that was the only thing I would say. The super clinical, good press. But yeah, it looked like it's just an easy day out for them. It was like they could walk. It even us. made it even. It was so frustrating for me too because you could see in like the the for like the two or three minutes where we might string together some 
some actual meaningful possession, you could see that they could get got at. Like, we actually created some decent chances, right? And that's what made it even more frustrating was because it was a match that became just a complete afterthought and an embarrassment when really it could have very easily just been a competitive match. And that is more damning than anything because it was not a situation where, um, like, it was not a team where if you just look at the 11th, forget the manager, forget the form, everything. If you just look at the 11th, I don't think you would just look at those names on paper and been like, wow, Liverpool's squad is what a way better team. Like, the only reason that that belief is there now is because of how poor the organization has been, particularly this season. And I think it's like... It's not just the organization. See that point you were making about Ronaldo because I've seen that clip loads of times today and there's like a split thinking of, is he just taking the piss, just waving his hands about, just doing whatever. When for me, quite clearly, he's just indicating to the defence, as you said, everyone is all over the place. And it's a further indictment of Ollie because... It's not just happened yesterday. It didn't just happen against Atalanta. It didn't just happen against Leicester. Something that's happened all season and must be coming from the coaches because it can't just keep happening. We've said about Maguire and Lindelof or Maguire and Varane or whoever the combination is at centre-half getting attracted to the ball. It's not just them getting attracted to the ball. It was pointed out midweek, yesterday, whenever. As soon as we're marking, say, man for man and the other team break, the amount of times that the ball will come inside to from it'll be out in the wing with whoever, it'll be played inside to whoever the attacker is. We're man for man. But we don't the fullbacks don't just come in and go tight. The fullbacks come in and almost double up on the attacker. And I don't understand like why that constantly happens. Cause all you're doing every single time, again, especially against good teams, because it happened repeatedly yesterday is you're just giving wide men the freedom of the pitch to just get the ball wide, walk, be- walk behind whoever the fullback is, get the ball and have a shot on target. Especially since our wide players aren't tracking back either, which is an instruction, They're obviously. not tracking back. So if they were at least tracking back, fine, the cover's there. But I don't understand why every single time we are defending an attack, the fullbacks don't just come in tight. They come in tight to double up on the attacker and you only need to watch the games back. The amount of space out wide for teams to have against us is frightening. Absolutely frightening. I mean, it has to be. It has yeah, to be instruction. It has to or be. The other thing I think is just blind. The other thing I think is just blind. Yeah, panic. Just panic you know, they just get the themselves time. in these situations where, where other teams are so immediately in, between, in behind our midfield defensive line that, and we're so high up the park that everyone is just scurrying around like rats at that point. You know, we saw I mean, that goal sorry, um, come, a few weeks ago where it like. Either, you know, sorry, just to. T- but, uh, to follow up on that, that's the thing that I'm saying is an indictment on Ollie because either that is coaching the way we are playing like that, which is an indictment on him. Yeah, it's either the wrong coaching or a lack of completely. Yeah, and neither and neither is a particularly good you know outcome. Um, yeah, and and I mean Ole, you know, we're sort of going over how these things have been an issue at Wolves, you know, at Newcastle they were able to get at us in this manner. You know, Everton were shredding us. Wolves, you know, it's Wolves. just been just wasn't been, wasn't that all yeah. one clean sheet in the last twenty games. Yeah, and yet, and yet, <laughs> you know, and yet they the chances they had. Well, even like even if we go back to last year, right? Like that six two first leg against Roma was amazing, right? Amazing performance, really fun. You know, credit to him. That was another one, right? At halftime, we're down two one, and you're like, what the hell is going on? Come on, the second half, destroy them. Look at that second leg. He rotates like three players, and the level completely drops out from the team, 
And they actually, they easily could have maybe sent that into extra time, maybe even won it, because that's how poorly we played. And Dea stood on his head um, and, you know, made some incredible saves. But it's like, this is like, this is the other problem too, is um, if if you're so dependent, like, I'm guilty of this too, because every time Telus comes in, I'm like, this guy sucks. He's so much worse than Shaw. But like, if, if your level as a team drops off that much because you can't rotate your left back, that says something about your structure and your organization as a team. Because really, like, I've seen Chelsea in the year 2021 play a bunch of matches with Marcus Alonso at left wing back, and they look great. It'll They look fine. Like, if you cannot handle Luke Shaw missing a match to play Alex Hellas, then that is something wrong inherently with how you're coaching. But then that, that, feed, that feeds back into the rotation thing because he doesn't give Tellers yeah, a chance. You know, they don't get regular enough minutes. You know, they don't get those kind of, that that kind of um, variance that Fergie would have always said, you know, you're playing this week, you're playing next week and the bravery to actually just mix up the teams even in you know, medium slash difficult fixtures, not just in completely meaningless dead rubber games. And even then it's likely Bruno and Pogba and all the rest of them will play as well. So then you're just throwing these players in to the axle, like to the fire because they're they're not fresh. They're not you know, used to playing with each other. You know, you see it with Van der Beek, you see it with Tellez, and they all play at the same time as well, which just compounds the problem. It's horrendous. But one thing I do want to move on to um, is that we've seen those issues that Jamie just documented throughout pretty much all the games. And Ole was quoted, you know, a week or two ago, just after the international break, I believe it was, saying, you know, maybe, you know, we've been looking at this, we see it too. Maybe something has to give. And in the two games following, the thing that gave was just not playing Pogba and doing everything else exactly the same and that was an interesting decision that was not i think anyone's interpretation of something's got to give although we possibly should have predicted it alex but you know given that he's then come on in this game to such disastrous effect and obviously with his contract situation you know his kind of mercurial time at united you know a word on paul pogba in this whole episode alex yeah, it's uh, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, in fairness to Pogba, bringing Pogba on for the second game in a row, one time being two nil down and the other time being four nil down, and expecting him to work wonders after not having the trust to play him from the start of the game is only going to head in one direction. And that he was able to come in and give such a top performance on on Wednesday night to help us get back into it is one thing. But to but to try and repeat that formula against Liverpool in what was ultimately you know a pressure cooker of a situation. It was just that naivety coming back, and and in and in terms of Pogba coming on and the tackle that he made in the red card, for me it all comes back to to the discipline issue that we've been talking about. Discipline in our shape and our structure, discipline especially in big games where ultimately our ability to to win these matches or to come back is all emotion led, but actually that emotion is also what gets us into trouble with a Martial red card against Spurs, a Fred red card against um, PSG, Pogba red card in the game the other day. I'm sure there's another, another couple that I'm forgetting as well. And it all comes down to, to this point about discipline. And I also pointed out on the podcast recently about how following games where we've scored four or more goals, the immediate game after, there's this huge pattern uh, of our win percentage just taking a complete tumble. And since I made that comment, we've seen that game of 
four four goals against Atlanta in midweek, but also earlier in the season, four goals against Newcastle, followed up by I think it was the young boys' performance, and and it all comes back down to this issue around discipline and complacency, and the fact that everything is managed on emotion and and galvanizing of emotion and that can take you so far in that it's able to get you these comebacks but it also can put us in these situations where we're having men sent off and losing 6-1 to Spurs or having men sent off and losing 5-0 to Liverpool or following up great performance with pretty disastrous performances yeah you know when when we look at the the managers who are sort of in contention and being talked of as his replacements some of them you know stylistically at least you know I I really wouldn't want to see but in terms of bringing some discipline back because whilst bravery is super important with united players having the ability to to go and express themselves that means nothing without discipline and having a balance between the two was something that Fergie was an absolute master at and we need someone to come in who's going to be able to take charge of that situation and bring some discipline to this team because it's sorely lacking. Well, on that note, quick fire question round. Immediate answers, no thinking. Ashwin, Ole in or Ole out? Out. Who do you, who do you sign? Zidane. Jimmy, Ole in or Ole out? Out. Quick fire. Out, and I would go for Ten Hag. And Alex? Oh, and I'd take Jamie at this point. I would love it. Jimmy, do you think they will sack him? Do you think it's a good idea? Is it fair at this point? Do you think it's something? I mean, my thing on Sunday evening, everyone was like, sack him at halftime. If he has any, you know, dignity, he'll resign in his post-match press conference. All these kind of, you know, things, immediate reactions. Um, And yet, the thing I was kind of repeating was, this man has a job to the end of the season. This ownership do not care. And will not take the kind of thing that we want them all to do and do it. So, do you think they will sack him? I mean, it's kind of ramping up every every hour here. Every hour, yeah. And stuff. I mean, yeah, I was the same as you last night. Like, I know it's like hands down, it's the worst defeat I've ever seen us have. But even last night after the game and and kind of watching the fallout and just scrolling through social media, I wasn't convinced in the slightest that he would be sacked. Um, this thing about walking away, I know, but even for Ollie, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even see Ollie walking away because at the end of the day, why should he? The responsibility for that lies with the board, and I know he'll be gutted and what have you. But at the end of the day, you don't want to walk away from a severance package either. So why, why should he walk away? But last night, no, I didn't think he would be sacked. Whereas as as the things have gone on today. I just think there's a bit too much smoke now around kind of every source. Normally, if it, if you can just attribute it, attributed it to the written press, say, and there was nothing else, I think you could kind of pass it off as just being a lot of noise. But the fact that the newspapers picked up on the first, now you've got Sky kind of not just in Britain, but Sky Italy are reporting on it as well. You've got the likes of DiMarzio and Romano and the like all now kind of picking up the story saying, yeah, it's the tension's kind of ramping up. It looks like there's going to be a decision made over the next 24 hours. I'm, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still not totally convinced, put it that way, but, but I, I do think, yeah, I can see him being sacked a lot more, but I'm still not totally convinced, if I'm being honest. Apparently, Brandon Williams on his Facebook 
uh, posted something. Thanks for everything you've done for me and for the club. Ole, good luck in your new adventures. And it's an actual post on his <laughs> Facebook. Um, I think he's gone. Like I, I, I just think it, it. It's not. You know, you get you lose a you you lose a big match. Uh, you lose a big match, and you lose in this kind of style. You're gonna have those reports anyway, right? That oh, you know, he's on the verge. It's not those that I think convince me that he's getting sacked. It's all the stuff about the players. Like no matter what, when he's had bad results, you've never heard players are unhappy. Players don't believe in him. Now you're hearing that, and you're actually hearing specific things like they don't like that. Um, it's not clear, like why different. You know, Van de Beek and Lingard, and the, the they're, if they play well, they still don't get matches. Uh, whereas players who are not performing are staying in the squad, and I think that is why I really like hundred percent think he is gone because I this this feels very different than the other times. Like you know, six one we lost to Tottenham yeah. last year. And there was already, there were immediately, you know, reports like, oh, is he on the hot seat? He lost to RB Leipzig in um in the last group match of the Champions League, so we didn't qualify for the knockouts. Reports then, but it was all very different. Very, very different. This feels yeah, no, a lot it, more it, real. 100% yeah, feels this a lot, lot of... more terminal in this instance. You know, that I would say I absolutely wouldn't have any faith that journalists aren't just picking the kind of standard internet fan complaint and then saying a source from the dressing room said this with absolutely no credence to that whatsoever, you know, just this is serious click territory um, for um, a lot of the media. But, you know, does anyone, I mean, there'll probably be listeners here who are passionate Ole in fans and maybe see this as a very blip. Few now. Or, nah, uh, very I few would, now. I, I, I mean, that's my perception. However, I don't want to feel like we're just, you <laughs> yeah. know, it seems almost, you know, I'd, I'd kind of want to do the Gary Neville yeah, no, no, and just say, Nick just take the high ground here. Yeah, exactly. Well, Nick's getting there, to be fair. Our listeners might be shocked to hear, but he is absolutely getting there. But um, yeah, I'm kind of going to take the, the classic Gary Neville high ground and say, look, as a moral position, I will not discuss or call for managers to be sacked, which I yeah, think is actually fair enough in his him. position. I think it's totally fine. I think it's actually a good take. A lot of hate for Gary Neville this week, which I don't think is uh, really justified at all. But that's a whole different uh, conversation. But, you know, it's not it's never nice to talk about any manager getting sacked and particularly not nice with Ole because he is a legend. He's a lovely, lovely fella. He's done a lot of very decent things and in many ways probably exceeded my expectations given how Absolutely. low they were. Um, and, you know, it's a dream that we all wanted to be successful, but I just can't see how a lot of people now are looking at that and thinking that there's any joy at the end of this road. Well, I, think, you know? I, think it, I think it has been successful in some ways. We haven't won a trophy and he hasn't taken us to the heights that the one would hope, but he was the perfect antidote to Mourinho to get the fans back on board, to, to bring the, the players and the fans closer together, to give us, you know, some good moments. Unfortunately, not when they matter, but still to to give us some great yeah. memories and some great moments to, to take with us and ultimately to progress the squad to give us a foundation to build on and and he's absolutely done that and when he first came in I was the one on the podcast saying even if he wins the Champions League as interim manager I wouldn't hire him because he doesn't have the credentials to to take this club to where it needs to be and whilst he's kind of proved he's, he's kind of proved that to be true but at the same time he's taken us far yeah. enough to to help give us a Hundred percent, you know, a helping hand I mean, he on that comes journey. Out with credit, really, if you look at it over the, the over the three years, and yet if he's sacked now, his name will will not be good because it'll be synonymous with this horrendous defeat and all the kind of meme culture about other fans about you know keeping Ole in and all that kind of stuff. But actually, he's probably done his managerial reputation credit. And if if he was to get the rest of the year and kind of steady the ship in some way and got us top four and the rest of it, he'd probably find he went on to a decent job afterwards somewhere, kind of thing, you know. But 
you know, timing can be everything in that regard. As Ashwin said, there are now just breaking reports that Brandon Williams, these could be completely fake. So, and you'll probably not hear this for a day as it's going to be edited, so they won't be particularly breaking at that point. But let's just uh, do a bit of live action here. Brandon Williams has apparently put out, uh, you know, commiserations. Thanks yeah, he, he, very he's much. the first <laughs> player that the club's played to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 Demarzio is now saying that we've officially made contact with Conte uh, as our number one choice. So you know it's all happening. And um, Jimmy, do the players? I mean, this is Ole centric, you know, and for good reason that we've just explained for fifty five minutes. I feel as there are a lot of reasons why, but surely the players should cop some blame here as well. I mean, at a base level, our team's much better than this, and they're all you know they've all been playing football for twenty years, probably since they were you know old enough to stand and and yet Scott McTominay and Fred can't work out that they should just stand still in front of our back line for a little bit you know what I mean so that's not high level stuff should should the players cop some blame here or is Ole being hung out to dry and is that his fault anyway if you want to be brutal the only player genuinely with any sort of credit in the bank this season is De Gea that's it like every other player you can point at and say yes they might have done some good in the season but they've done some really bad performances as well. And I mean, that on Sunday, I know we've just sat and bashed Ollie for 50-odd minutes, but personal pride comes into it a little bit as well. Like, if you're on the pitch, like, getting absolutely pulverised the way they were yesterday, surely even just an element of your own personal pride kicks in to say, like, this is unacceptable. Yeah, we're not going to do nothing here to rectify the result. Because it's it's impossible. But you just put a bit of fight into you. I mean, it was just pathetic yesterday. It was it, it, it was like I didn't feel like it was effort though, it was just cluelessness and ineptitudes. Personal pride in the sense that if you know it's not working yourself, fundamentally it's not working, whatever you're being told to do. That's an that that's an Yeah. We we just committed to the plan and that was it. Whereas I'm saying all right, fine, you don't normally deviate, but if you're getting absolutely smashed off the park by your biggest rivals, surely to God, something must flick in your head that thinks, I just need to do something different here. Whether that's going closed down a bit quicker, or, I don't know, just put it about a bit, just something. But then you've got 11 players pulling in different directions, doing their own thing, which is part of the problem, right? Plus, I think a bit of shell shock of being 2-0 down inside 13 minutes against a very good Liverpool side, everything's going wrong, I think at that point the game's beat. I just think it's. I think it's. I think it's. I think. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to put that on the players though. Like to be like, this is not something where it's just a a a one particular area of the pitch that's a problem, right? It's not like oh, like the gap between uh the left, like the left back and the left winger. Rashford needs to track back. No, no, no. This was like across the board. You're just completely, you know, it's just completely all over the place, and you cannot expect on the pitch for 11 players to just like figure out the optimal style of play right like th- th- like it's it's just not possible and like i actually agree i do think like effort wise there were instances where you could just see like they were not competing as hard as the their liverpool counterparts were but um i think that's just like when you go into a match i mean you go into a gunfight with a knife what do you think is going to happen they knew what was going to happen <laughs> They knew what was going to happen. They knew yeah. when they got on the pitch, as soon as the match started, as soon as Bruno probably didn't get, didn't score on that one chance we had with, in the first two minutes, they probably knew, oh, it's over. It's over. We're, this is never going to happen. And it's just, you know, like, they, they played Atlanta. They know the difference, right? They know Atlanta is a good team. 
they're a plucky team in the Champions League. Liverpool is a completely different level. Like it's a completely different level. And you got these guys aren't stupid, right? They they've played Everton, we played Villa. We've played a pretty easy schedule until now, and we have not come out with that, come out of that with any I mean, I don't think there's anybody that would say that we've had an impressive start to the season. So when that happens, and then now you're seeing Liverpool who have been scoring for fun in the last few weeks, who are playing as well as anybody in Europe, you know what's going to happen. And it's, 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 you cannot, you can't, just can't, it's, it's too much to respect 11 players on a pitch to just figure out like, you know, and ultimately, if they have to do that, what the hell is the point of management? No, what is I the agree, point but, of the, the but, entire but, coaching but staff that stat, It was like, say, for example, yesterday when, whatever it was, the third went in or the fourth went in. The stats come up on the bottom of the screen saying the United were now in the bottom of the table, 20th out of 20th, for errors leading to goals and number of tackles. So that's where, I, but that's where I'm saying the players need to take some responsibility as well because tackling, tackling is, you shouldn't need a fucking manager, pardon the French, to tell you to go and tackle the other team. No, no, but, but then I, the I, see, I, I don't, I don't, but see, that, that stuff that we saw with Mourinho, that stuff we saw at the end with Mourinho where we were bottom in, in yards traveled, yeah. bottom in tackles and stuff like that. I The errors to goals, I agree. Like some of that is just, you know, Maguire, don't be an idiot and clear the ball when De Gea kicks it to you, right? Like there's things like that I I completely agree with. But the tackles and all that kind of stuff, that, and like, we just talked about it, right? Shaw and, and uh, Juan Bissaka coming right next to the center backs. How can you tackle somebody if you're no, not I even close to the ball? I appreciate that, but you can't have, you can't have teams like Norwich out tackling you. Well, Jamie, as, as I said earlier, what you then get is a situation where players are just chasing the ball, which is what ended up happening. All players diving into tackles as we saw with Pogba. But also it's just also it's just personnel. I mean, if you constantly pick players, I mean Greenwood isn't a hard worker. No, he isn't. Rashford isn't a hard no. worker. Ronaldo will not do that for you. Bruno did press and would tackle at the start of his United career, but clearly just doesn't do it now because no one else is doing it. You know, Fred McTominay should get decent tackle stats. But when you just give up all your attacking players and basically say to them, whether it's implicit or explicit, you don't have to work for the team, you know. That is literally, that's what the 2-4-4 four, four is. Or it's like 4-2-4 four, four is. You know, you're literally saying, you know, like it, it literally looks now like getting rid of Dan James was the worst thing we could have possibly done because there's no one, there's no one in that front four outside of Bruno who's willing to work in yeah, any kind aren't. of effectual yeah, I, I way. And, and it's either they aren't willing or, or Ole can't make them or Ole doesn't want them to. Whichever, whichever answer it is, it's wrong. Yeah. You cannot, you cannot get away with that. If you had Kante and, and, Makalele behind them you might be able to get away with it with a star studded back four but the arrogance to think with this back four and this middle two we can get away with that and just to touch back on the points of like Ashwin before literally no phase of our play currently is good attack is bad defense is bad forwards are bad they're not creating we are scoring goals but in a completely individualistic way it's not clicking we're not actually breaking down teams successfully the midfield is horrendous and the defense which was actually decent last year and has played together and is unchanged is also horrendous. As Jamie said, De Gea is the only one that comes out with credit. And I just can't understand how anyone can kind of... Certainly, I don't think the players come out in a good light, but when it's that endemic throughout the, throughout the team and on every front available, you know, you just have to say that it's it's done. You know, it is absolutely done. Um, moving on, guys, just before... Yeah, I... I um, we wrap it up here. Sorry, Ashwin. Yeah. Um, absolutely cutting you off there. 
It's because I'm American. Just want to talk about replacements. Yeah, it's because you're American. Um, <laughs> and you said I don't watch basketball, and I I love watching basketball. Um, <laughs> replacements, and it seems slightly uncouth just to launch into it, but I think truly by the time this podcast makes it to listeners' ears, we might have an answer to some of these questions. Um, Ash, when you said Zidane, yeah, why? Uh, I think that we have a squad with big personalities, big egos that need to be managed. I think he will get buy-in from a lot of them. I think he has a connection to several of them already, which will help his cause. Uh, I think that he's been proven to be adaptable. Uh, I thought I was really impressed with his last season in Madrid when they won the league and got to the semis in Champions League. Obviously, winning three straight Champions League is pretty good, good too. Um, but I, I just think that he suits the squad. I think he's got a personality for it. and. I just, I think that it is easier with, to me, he's not somebody who is going to be married to a system. I think he's adaptable to the talent he has and will find a way to work with it. Uh, and I think that's what we need, um, more so than somebody like Akante, who is great at what he does, but he does what he does. That is, that is it. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's my thought. Also, if the club wants to re-sign Pogba, I think Kyrie Zidane might be a, a nice little way to do that. Mm, I think that's probably a very fair point. The thing with Zidane that gives me slight cause for concern is that, you know, Cruz and uh, Modric are a lot different to Fred and Madic slash Fred and McTominay, etc. You know, the tools he had at his disposal were just so good. And that's not to diminish his obvious, amazing uh, returns with that Real team. But I do slightly fear that he's just like a better version of Ole and that's still not what we need. You know, he's Ole... In that he's just a bigger legend. He has more gravitas. He clearly has more honors. He's done more. He's he's managed bigger names successfully. But he's still kind of a vibes manager for me. He absolutely is. I agree with that. I don't know. He took a he took a top heavy team and Casemiro and a midfield free was the hero of that team. And he made some tough decisions when you look at the forwards and you you know you look at the conflict that he had with Bale. He was absolutely willing to to make big decisions to yeah. to yeah. cut superstars' yeah. time and to ultimately do what he thought was best for the team in a very pragmatic way. So I think, like stylistically, you know, I wouldn't be a big fan of Zidane, but actually, I think I think he proved in his time at Madrid that he was willing to make the tough decisions. And actually, you know, there was a you know there was there was a heavy focus on what it takes to win and be defensively sound. Um, you know, and make sure that those right foundations were in place before we'd even think about, you know, goal scoring records and making sure that Ronaldo got his weekly hat trick and, <laughs> and everything else that, that comes with being a Madrid manager at that time. Mm. I mean, was he your pick as well, Alex? I forgot. <laughs> oh, it was me, I think. No, no I didn't. I, I picked Jamie, yeah. For, for me, I would like to see us finally go in the direction of a young, up and coming manager. But I think what's most important to me, and, and we spoke at the start about the failings of Mourinho and Van Hal. I mean, it's it's worth saying that that's an incredibly small sample size. But secondly, as we've said so many times before, the structure at the club wasn't in place to support those individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not sure if the structure is yet in place to support the, the incoming manager. It's there in principle and in name at the moment. But, I, you know, it's hard to know. Definitely feels better. Yeah, we, we haven't had long enough to really understand whether you know, some of those positions are in name and nothing else or or whether there is actually power and, and a direction of travel and, you know, real responsibility being given to those individuals. But there are at least names in place which give the impression that there's a more conducive structure to success 
And at that point, you know, maybe it is time that we got a serial winner who has proven to be able to to challenge the likes of a Conte, who not only came and won the Premier League with Chelsea, but also went and won with Inter Milan nine years of, of Juventus's uh, dominance. Like, he's a proven winner. And whilst my main reservations would be around his ability to bring, like, conflict over the club similar to what Mourinho did... Maybe it is time that, that we got someone who was able to take that structure, um, not make decisions in terms of, you know, who we're investing our money in and who we're bringing to the table. But ultimately, the person who's able to make the tough decisions of making sure that we've got round pegs in round holes on the pitch and someone who absolutely is unforgiving in his team selection and will not pander to any single name on that team sheet and will expect the highest of standards when it comes to discipline and structure. Talking of a of an antidote to Mourinho, maybe we need an antidote to, to Ali at this point. Well, exactly. And that's just what's so interesting. You know, three years ago, we were all sat here saying there's it's too negative, it's too disciplined. You know, we shouldn't be at war with our own players. It's it's a horrendous, you know, feeling. It's toxic, all that kind of stuff. And we, we get Ole in and we're all then riding this wave of positivity around, you know, this is what we need, the players need nurtured the players need believed in he needs to put an arm around the shoulder look what he's done for Greenwood look what he's done for Rashford all this kind of stuff and now we're at the end of that phase where we're saying what we need is that disciplinarian for this squad this squad has had it too easy under Ole they've been you know treated with kid gloves and they've walked all over him and he you know he hasn't made the impact and now we're saying what we need is that that disciplinarian I do think in these comparisons Conte kind of gets a hard hard um sell because he's not Mourinho you know he doesn't he hasn't blown up teams necessarily well he's also good still which is important (laughs) well exactly he's still (laughs) winning first of all um but also you know he he was he he was kind of not matched by the clubs he was at in very unfortunate you know circumstances at times and then that ended up to him leaving because he is quite uncompromising if he's not getting what he wants you know he wasn't really backed in the way he wanted to at Chelsea and that caused the kind of breakdown there with Inter I mean he literally gave them everything on a plate and they didn't back him in the summer and had huge financial issues and he walked away from that, rightly so, I think, um, given the kind of job he'd done there. So I think sometimes it's a bit harsh to draw that Mourinho comparison, although he is kind of a, you know, it's a similar vibe, but that's certainly where my current money would be over Zidane in terms of the readily available yeah. managers. Um, because, you know, I would love to try Ten Hag, Jimmy, but I just don't think he's available. I'm not even sure when he would be available. And I really am not that keen, you know, Obviously, Jimmy, if you say you'd love Ten Hag next, and I mean, we've just seen him, you know, light up the Champions League, smashing the, the league, playing great football, you know, very attractive proposition in terms of Ajax. We love their players, even though they never play well for us or even get on the pitch at all. And yet we keep buying them. So we may as well just try it with a manager now and see how that goes. Maybe he would actually play the players that we buy. No, we, w- we won't let him manage. But that <laughs> that has to be a summer thing at the earliest, Jimmy. So then does that become a caretaker manager? Is that Darren Fletcher? Is it Ole till the end of the year? And we just brave it out. You know, that's my only concern with that. I need someone. I mean, I'd walk into my driveway here, pick up a rock and install it as manager of Manchester United tomorrow. Uh, because that's how fed up I am with Ole. How important is it to have somebody with United DNA, though? That's the real question we need it's to be not, asking. You know, it's the thing about Ten Hag, I agree with that. Because he has recently just signed a new three-year deal. And I know, obviously, we kind of mentioned it in the chat and, you know, you get the usual things of, well, it's Man United come call and show that, you know, he will be interested. I'm not so sure because what he has done at Ajax is he built that first excellent team that got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. That was then ripped apart 
because obviously the model of Ajax is that they need to sell players not necessarily every year, but certainly every 18 months to two years they need to sell to reinvest into their academy to go and, and their scouting system is excellent as well. So they bring in these players for next to no money. He's then built another excellent team and I don't know how much other people and the listeners have watched the Ajax this season. They are unbelievable to watch. Jamie, he's there for he's there for the same reason as every you know, as all of those up and coming players are there. Like it's a fantastic place to 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 develop and yeah, show your credentials. But ultimately I'm absolutely convinced that there's a bigger move at play for him. And you know, if it's not United, it'll no doubt be a Barcelona or someone similar in the near term. And we'll be doing what we're doing with with Tuchel over the last nine months of Casting jealous uh, green eyes over in that direction, but you know that that uh, you know in terms of managerial appointments, that's a huge part of it. You know we've offered Klopp a job, and at that point he didn't want to leave Dortmund. And then when he wanted to leave Dortmund, we weren't available. And even though he very might well might have come ahead of Liverpool, and um, I think that's extremely likely. Um, and then you miss out on what seems now to be a generational manager. I mean, I'm I'm full of praise and respect for Klopp, even though it's horrendously for Liverpool. Yeah. And um, same with Guardiola. You know you. Same with Tuchel there last year. Chelsea in exactly the same situation as us. Our season looking a wee bit better. They make the cutthroat decision and they reap the reward of winning the Champions League and, and having a very good manager in place this year. And it's about trying to identify who that next person is. You know, if we sign Zidane to a three-year contract or whatever else and then you miss Ten Ag who yeah. goes next summer and becomes brilliant for whoever. You know, it's such a it's such a dice game, you know, to, for, the, for the board and the decision makers at United. Oh dear, by the way, because that doesn't fill you with any kind of confidence to get that right. And at a certain point, I think you also just have to jump because, you know, who's to say Ten Ag doesn't just stay on or doesn't flop at the next place? You know, you'll just never know. But you have to kind of try and gauge it at the right point. And my thing is, and this may sound not very good to some people, I'm 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 fine with the Chelsea model. I'm fine with short term contracts for managers that have been there and done that. And to just rinse and repeat, just try and find it. Because I really do think there's so much chance in this kind of appointment that can't put too many eggs in one basket with big contracts and long-term mm. plans because it just might not work. I genuinely think it's such a, it's almost like trying to find a girlfriend or whatever. You, you kind of have to, you either click or you don't. And it's not necessarily that someone's bad or wrong or not good enough. Teams just click with certain managers at certain times. Yeah. You know, Mourinho would have clicked with us five years before he came, stuff like that. You know, it just... It's all about timing and a lot of it comes down to the rub of the green and how it all starts for them and stuff like that. And in that context, you could bring Conte in now and win the Champions League. Equally, it could be a complete disaster. You just have to go. Well, I actually, it's funny though. Like, I actually think if you want to win the Champions League, that Zidane is much better for Zidane that. But one. if you want, if you're like, if for league performance, like, I think if you get Conte, there's no doubt we finish top four. Like, 100%. You might even have an outside chance of winning the league. I don't think so because of, the point totals that have been set by Liverpool. Yeah. yeah, Liverpool and, and Liverpool and City have been winning what like hundred. It's not even the point totals. The teams are too good because yes. they won't drop. Yeah, the may, necessary maybe. Points, I'm just, I'm know. just, I, but like, I think that if you get if you get Conte, I think you're comfortable in the league. You'll, he'll, he's just so good at winning. In You'll challenge next season with Conte. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, it's, it's, it's pretty much guaranteed. All, all he'll want is he'll ask for you know fifteen wing backs in the summer. And a couple of like a, a some gigantic target man, and we'll be fine. 
that's the important thing, right? One one big issue I had is that we were yo-yoing from completely disparate and opposing philosophies and styles that it created a huge issue. And so long as we maintain control over that at a more overarching level with a holistic view and a, and a longer-term vision, I think you're then able to introduce that yo-yoing effect at a manager level. Well, Alex, the great thing about this is Ole has thankfully implemented no style or no tactics <laughs> whatsoever. This is essentially a blank canvas for the next manager to come in and do whatever he wants. You know, he can just take those 15 or 18 players and say, let's do this because they're going to be so they're going to be so receptive to whatever comes next Absolutely. due to the complete but, vacuum of coaching. But I'm thinking like beyond Conte or beyond whoever yeah. the next manager is. What's important to me is that regardless of, of whether it's one year or five, is that we do have... We, we're able to maintain that longer-term vision at an overarching it's, it's, it, level. It, 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 to, it totally makes sense. And yeah. I think for that kind of strategy, if you're going to replace managers, you need either an, like a, an Abramovich figurehead or like an Ajax or whoever else, director of football kind of situation you have a lot of faith in and there's a long-term appointment. So if there is continuity there. However, sometimes I don't think football is that deep, particularly at the top clubs, because you have great players. All the top clubs have great players. And this is just typified by Chelsea. Literally, one change transformed that team. Yeah. One formation change transformed that team. And obviously, there's more to it than that. He's maybe a bad, better tactician, better man manager, different ethos. There was issues with Lampard, whatever it is. But really, he made one tactical change, and that completely transformed the team immediately. All the same players, all the whatever, and yet those two managers, Tuchel and Lampard, in terms of philosophy, in terms of what they were trying to put out there, in terms of ability, couldn't be more chalk and cheese. And yet, that was an immediate result. So I don't always think. You know, going from someone like, you know, a, a free-flowing, expressive, you know, beautiful football kind of manager to a Mourinho. No, do I. But it's is, is always going to immediately cause issues. You but, know? but the playing staff needs to be around. Like, to, like imagine Tuchel to, uh, to coming in after Mourinho or after Van Hal and the squad that we had then. Would he have been able to make that one simple tactical change? and see success like that's another question so what i mean chelsea's squad was set up for because it's so good obviously the, the better the squad is the better you are but we should always be in a position where we have a good squad i mean those squads that we had weren't good enough for manchester united for anyone absolutely really. you yeah, know you would argue you know and just due to a lot of bad signings under woodward you know and a lot of sort of broken ducks and stuff you know so that's that's the issue um but i think like it, god it would be hard to do as poorly in the transfer window as we did do for a long while you know moving forward just get to the knockouts please can we do that? <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm living for, Ashwin. Honestly, that is all I'm living for. Please, please scrape top four and have some kind of run in the Champions League. But I mean, if it's Ole, A, we very well might still might not get out of this group. And B, the very next team we meet will pull our pants down. Like, just just with ease. You know, I have no confidence. And that's such a that's such a transition from Ole being the big night manager, you know, and having that great record against Gorliola, great record and but he hasn't for a while. He, he was for one season. Because we've changed, because we've completely changed tact. No, but, but, that's it. but there was a year in between where we weren't either every man behind the ball or this style now where we're looking to actually impose ourselves. And we were a bit of an in-between where the opposition managers had figured us out. And last year, our performances and our results in the big game were pretty dreadful. There was quite a few draws in there, nil-nils or 1-1 one -one draws in there that we were able to eke out. But actually, last season, our performances in big games and in games that mattered was pretty shite, really. Slightly big game coming at the weekend. Um, Spurs at half-five on Saturday. 
in what is being labeled ML Sakiko, I think, um, because Nuno is also not doing tremendously. If anyone can be bothered to think about watching the next United game and give a prediction, I'm not going to be watching that. Manager. I'm not. Wa- <laughs> I'm not watching it because uh, my football team is playing a big game that, at that exact moment, and United have not given me a reason to skip that right now. So fair play. So they're they've they've dropped in the hierarchy of of Ashwin Sporting. Yeah. No. It's just. It's honestly like I would prefer to watch United, but like I I just I, like it's. If you're not gonna, what if we have a new manager? Will you watch it? Yeah, I would probably watch it then. Like, I just, I don't think like, I cannot watch, and it's not because like I actually hate that it's come to this with Ole because obviously he's a club legend. I think he seems like a really good guy. Um, you know, I think he's done a lot of good work. I hate that like all I want to do now is for him to be sacked, but uh, like it just can't, it can't go on like this. It's been really bad, and and it's it sucks, but it is what it is. Um, you know, like I, I thought the Leicester match was a sack-worthy performance. Just the entire decision-making process of that match was atrocious. Um, and then, you know, like, you you equalize, and then immediately from there, like, you just see how poorly the concentration levels and the organization is just straight from the kickoff. You give up, like, a, another goal. It's just, it's so, so bad. And, yeah, like, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't watch it because even if we win, I know it'll just be some kind of insane frenzied performance like the Atalanta match, right? It won't be a performance where you walk away from your and you're like, yeah, they just never had a chance. Like, have we had one match like that this season where you walked away and you're like, yeah, they just never, maybe Leeds, that's about it. And it's like, that's about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, do you think we'll win? Get any results? What are you looking for? You know, some people on the cap come out and say, I hope Ole loses every game now because it'll get him sacked. I don't quite, but yeah, I can't have that. I still can't have that. Yeah, that I still I just hope the people, you know, in charge of the club aren't clouded by possibly good results, you know, because you could likely get a big reaction from such a humiliating defeat and we could go out and play class and smash bars. Wouldn't change my mind one, one bit about what needs to happen, but I still want that to happen. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it wouldn't change my mind either, but yeah, of course you want the team to win. Um, what do I think? Should happen well, yeah. Change should be made, but at the very, very, very least, if there isn't a managerial change made this week, the the per, the personnel the personnel has to. I mean, how you can have certain guys just sitting, not even getting a look in, and guys like Lingard, Sancho, Van de Beek, just not getting a look in, and the team's playing as badly as it is. It would be inexcusable for me on Saturday if there isn't. A number of changes made just to try and change something. Whole eleven, just, whole eleven after yeah, that performance. Because you, you, you've got no, you've got no faith at all in certain players going in and delivering a big performance at the moment after yesterday. I don't even think it's about faith. I think it's about what they deserve, and I don't think a lot of those players deserve to step out on Saturday. Uh, yeah, as I've already said, all of them apart from the hair. Like start with the hair, yeah, fine. But then you could probably change the rest of the team, and just give guys a go. I mean, I'm just looking for a bit of, for a bit more cohesion, a bit more understanding, and what we're trying to do, a bit more of a solid game plan, and give a chance to some of the guys that, quite frankly, have not had a fair crack of the whip, who might actually put a bit of a marker down and take their chance. And just see where we go from there. Because as we say, like we could win the game on Saturday. We could end up with a pretty 
decent result, but it would absolutely not change my mind. The manager has to change, and until the managerial change is made, this will just keep happening. We'll win a couple, we'll lose a couple, we'll probably get spanked in another game because that's just what it's happens. Any week after Spurs, yeah, so, my, yeah, my heart goes out to season ticket holders like Imran who who have got to turn up to Old Trafford and enjoy that City game oh, after man. the five nil drubbing from Paul. So Imran, Imran famously left, um, and I think that's probably one of the first times he's ever left Old Trafford. And, and I mean, it was something I wanted to raise in the pub, but it just it kind of got away from us. But those scenes of droves of United fans leaving at half time, even you know, I mean, that is such a statement. But, but I, nah, you know what? I mean, I appreciate. I've seen the pictures that were on Sky, but I was at the game, and whilst yeah, there was a hell of a lot of fans who were leaving. Remember that the seventy-five thousand people in that stadium, a few thousand walking away from Old Trafford, looks like a hell of a lot when you take a bird's eye view. But actually, yeah, but like it's not a normal thing to leave a football game, Alex. Anyone who any paying fan and, and a fan who's there to support the team, it takes a lot. To- there was more people in that stadium at the end of that game than there would be had we won 2-0. Uh, because 2-0 at Old yeah, Trafford, yeah, you see droves of fans leaving yeah, to, to exactly. beat the traffic. And those actually, are, Those are different reasons though, aren't they? A lot, a lot of fans stayed and, and the last the last 30 minutes or so, you know, was just one long continuous chance of, of Busby Babes and, and clapping from everyone. And... I'm not. I'm not sure that actually gets picked up by the cameras because of where the cameras are situated at Old Trafford. It it picks up the away fans more so, and that's always been the case. But like you know, from we from where we were sitting, you couldn't hear Liverpool fans, and it wasn't about support for Ole at that point. It was about support for the team, um, not so much the players, but just the club in general, and also just a bit of a, a two fingers up to to the Scouse fans to not give them the satisfaction of seeing a so you, are you saying completely you, you empty stadium. Should walk out? Are you saying Emran's no good for doing that? <laughs> no, I, I don't think anyone can begrudge someone leaving at 5-0 when they've got, you know, a couple of hour journey home and we have 10 men and there's absolutely no chance of of seeing a comeback. But it's not a statement as well, Alex. It's not people just saying, I don't want to put up with this. I want to make you know, uh, an impact in a different way, not by staying and supporting, even though I kind of do support the team, but that I can't kind of in good conscience protest by this anymore. And I want to, I want to make that feeling known to the club. I I personally don't, you know, I don't really have any thoughts or misgivings to people. I mean, I don't agree with booing and I wouldn't boo, but people who boo, I can, I don't get behind it, but I can understand it. Even the people you mentioned earlier who want to see us lose a game, Again, I can't get behind that myself. But at the same time, if someone thinks that it's in the club's best interests over the longer term and for the greater good, and they think that these individual games do have an impact on the decisions at a board level, which I think, to be honest, they do much more than they should do, then then actually I don't have a problem with that either. I don't agree with it. But ultimately, if if that's what they think is best for the club in, in the longer term, then who am I to disagree with that? So absolutely whatever stance anyone took during the game on Saturday, I, I can understand both ways and, and get behind. But ultimately, you know, there was still a lot of people who stayed in that stadium who continued to to show their support, despite, let's be honest, 30 minutes of absolutely no intention, no desire, but ultimately also no chance of getting anything at all, even a consolation from that performance. Is anybody listening at this point? <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah. No, I didn't mean you guys. I meant I, I meant listeners. Ninety minutes into if, this, if listeners reach this point, ninety minutes into this episode, then we appreciate you. We appreciate yeah. the hell out of you, and you must have uh, 
no other podcast to listen to or anything else to do currently. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Alex, you think we're going to win against Spurs? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of do as well, just because it feels like it can't get any worse. But, you know, we could be proven wrong. And who knows? It feels, it feels like it feels like a ridiculous prediction because it's at the moment, it's like who even cares about that Spurs game? It feels like this is going to be a very big week for Manchester United one way or the other. Even are we going to see change right. in... Oh, horrendous. Are we going to see a change in manager? Are we going to see backroom staff leave? Are we going to see um, the club come out and support Ole and, and, and provide an assurance and kind of put this to bed? I think that's the best thing either way. I don't want this just to be a story for three, four, five, six weeks through to Christmas. You know, either either set the start and say he has it till the end of the year and then we'll look at it or make the change. That's really what I would prefer, some kind of sign of decisive, you know, resolution to the conversation either way because it's just going to be constant clicks and nonsense and shit talk anyway, which is not a good a, a good um, environment for either Ole or the players to operate in and for us to salvage something from the season. So feels like it will be a big week either way. We will certainly be back after the Spurs game to discuss that and whatever else happens in the build-up. So that's cheerio from me. Cheerio from me. Good night from me. Uh, night trips. Sports Social Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.